So today we're going to talk about a very unknown but very interesting place that has hundreds if not thousands of years of history. This place is home to Native American ruins that are hundreds if not thousands of years old. It's home to a cemetery that has been in use since before the Spaniards arrived. And it's also very close to the Rio Grande River and also just so happens to be in the very center of the state of New Mexico. Today, we're going to be talking about Indian Hill. I'm Lucas Ward. And I'm Cody Johnston. And this is Free State of Socorro. So this hill looks pretty inconspicuous at first. It looks like most other hills in, in the area until you climb to the top. And as you climb to the top, you'll start noticing piles of rocks and maybe some shards of pottery on the ground. And these things are all the remnants of a Native American settlement that existed up here for, I don't know, probably several thousand years based on some of the things in the area. Um, you can find, for example, uh, pestles carved into the rocks for grinding corn. And I know that those take several hundred years to form. Yeah, there's remnants of petroglyphs all over uh, Indian Hill. Most of them are on the rocks out to the side, which are a little hard to get to. But I'm guessing that those rocks all used to be one large area, and they've just eroded and tumbled down. They're a lot of them. They're really weird-looking petroglyphs. Yeah, they are kind of weird-looking. I wonder how many of them are actually authentic. I'm not think... sure. There's a bunch of ones that seem really close together, like that weird, you know, the one with the circle of yeah. the big dot and the circle around. There's several of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there's... I don't know. I kind of feel like there are a few of them that aren't, that maybe aren't authentic. I don't know. I'd have to take a closer look. Yeah, we're we're just speculating here. Not a, yeah, we are. I mean, there's um, nothing to go on. There's really very little, but there's several of shield-shaped things. There's that one that's almost, it's a shield with like a Pueblo drawn into it. Yeah. Um, there's also several petroglyphs that like resemble almost a human. They're kind of like faces, two dots, and like a mouth, and with a head shape. But like right here, um, yeah, it's really weird because it doesn't seem to have feet. It almost looks like a cone on top of their head. Yeah, no, I think a lot of them were made for religious reasons. So I think they might have had something to do with the religion that was. Yeah, practiced. and we don't know too much because the Spaniards drove them out before. We really knew anything. Yeah, I think the Spaniards like threw them out or subjugated them like 400 years ago. So. Yeah, it's kind of weird. They like completely massacred some populations, enslaved others, kind of left others alone and tried to convert them to Catholicism. Yeah. Spaniards kind of gave off weird vibes. I don't know. It's interesting 
why the Spaniards weren't able to keep so much of their land, but that's a topic for another day. Well, the Native Americans lived on this hill. They had plenty of time to make artwork and make pottery and other artifacts that you can see on the hill to, to this very day. There are many examples of petroglyphs scrawled all over the sides of Indian Hill. And you'll find many very similar petroglyphs. Um, there are plenty of petroglyphs that look like shields, and there are plenty of petroglyphs that look like humanoid figures almost, and one can only speculate as to why there were so many similar petroglyphs. Um, and no one really knows what the reason for this is, because the Spaniards drove the Native Americans out before anything could really be figured out. And that was over 400 years ago. I mean, for all we know, these could be just the in the Native American equivalent of graffiti or just doodles. But they could also have actual significance, like religious purposes. But it's all really speculative. So, you can also find many artifacts on the hill that were used by the Native Americans in everyday life. You can find shards of pottery that are well over 400 years old. And you can also find many arrowheads. And they're often just... They're often quite inconspicuous. They just like look like, you know, most other rocks until you take a close look at them. And they were used for hunting mainly. Um... So apparently, uh, with some like word of mouth local lore, um, so off to the side, we didn't go there. Off to the other side, it's on the opposite side of the petroglyphs. There is a bunch more pottery shards. And apparently when someone were, was to die, um, they would put all the possessions in a pot that they also owned and they'd throw it off the side, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Most of the arrowheads that were there look like um, failed arrowheads. They were little chips of rock that had been... It looks like the rock that they were chipping at was broken in half, and it made the arrowhead too small. Um, yeah, they don't, they don't look like very good arrowheads at all um, compared to the actually good Native American arrowheads that you can find in other places. It looks almost like, um, like Cody said, they were the ones that failed, and they just probably left lying around rather than actually using them to hunt. Yeah, and the patterns on them, the chips, were definitely man-made because of how, um, not exactly precise, but how much of the rock they took out. Um, and how it, it's definitely not water or erosion or a normal rock chip it was intentional yeah there's no way that erosion could make something like that um and you can also oftentimes find these arrowheads clustered together in really close proximity to one another 
almost like they would make a lot of arrowheads and pile the ones that they didn't want up in one spot and just leave them there. So that's another thing that we can all speculate about, but it it makes sense, you know. Um, what I thought was really interesting about the pottery especially is that a lot of the coloring is still intact. There's beautiful, it's like a clay, like a red clay pottery. And then you see these intricate black designs and stripes all over the side. And they're worn a bit, but you can still tell that there was black uh, patterns all over the pottery. And some of them are beautiful. It's really interesting to see one of them put back together. Yeah, I think that the pottery is in super good condition. Um, and I know that pottery generally does remain in good condition for a very, very long time, but like the color in the artwork is, is very, very clear for the pottery being, you know, over 400 years old. Um, um so they were sun dried actually, which is, I, would take a lot longer than just putting in a kiln nowadays and the coloring would have been um, I don't know actually there's little documentation but they're they're so yeah. all the pictures of the ones we have that are intact they're very round which I guess would imply that there was some kind of pottery wheel or that it was just a very tedious thing yeah and I personally don't know how they did the artwork. I mean, I guess they may have been able to use charcoal, but most um, later Native American pottery was made with products that arrived after the Spaniards came. So That's interesting. That's a really interesting tidbit. Yeah, I personally have no idea how they... I mean, I guess theoretically, um, a lot of that pottery could have been made after the Spaniards showed up, because we don't know what happened to the Native Americans living on that hill. And they could have just been left alone for long enough to continue living after the Spaniards came. Yeah, there's no real evidence of Spaniards up there, but if there was, it probably wouldn't be left. And for all we know, they could have just moved to another settlement or all got disease and died. Yeah, so who knows what happened to them. And there were never very many people up there in the first place, you know. Um, based on the size of the settlement, I don't think that there were ever any more than 100 people living atop that hill. So anything could have happened and we would have very little evidence of it. It looks like a great place for settlement. It's up, around, like above everything. There's a river right to the side. Yeah, it's a lot like other Native American settlements, as in it's on top of quite a steep hill, so it's very easily defensible. And um, it's just something that a lot of Native American settlements have in common, is that they were put atop mesas or steep hills so that the people living on top of them could defend them more easily. Also on top of Indian Hill is a prime meridian marker, which was used in the late 1700s to survey the new states in the United States. 
1785, Congress enacted a law saying that all the new states would be surveyed by a grid system um, consisting of what they called townships of six miles squared, and that these initial points needed to be established across the country. And this, the marker, this specific marker was a prime meridian. That's a represented a giant line that went down the middle of New Mexico and Colorado as a point for the surveyors to relay back to. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, this is effectively the center of the state, if I'm not mistaken. It's extremely close. The actual geographical center of the state is a bit past uh, Gordy's Hill recreational area, but that's using modern technology. So as far as they were concerned, this was the center of New Mexico. Yeah, with the technology that they had at the time. I can't imagine having to survey all this without anything digital. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I don't think I would be able to do it. But the prime meridian that's currently in use today was installed in 1952. And it still has the, the $250 fine for removal, which I find really funny because it hasn't been updated since that point in time. So I don't know uh, if the law said, has changed at all. You said 55, right? No, I said 250. No, uh, sorry, for the year. Oh, no, I said 1952. 52. Wow, that was like... Really? Was there... Maybe they... 1855. What? Oh, yeah, that makes... That's weird. Well, yeah, 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 but they... They install new ones every now and again, so I'm sure they put yeah. the first one down then, but... Yeah, okay, I was just lost. But still, the 1855 is the first stamp, then the second one is 1956. Yeah, so we were both wrong about the year. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting that it almost took 100 years. I don't know if that's the first one. Um, I'm guessing it was one. Of, it's either the first or the second one put there. But that's almost 100 years after the law was uh, enacted, stating that uh, everything needed to be surveyed, which I guess would kind of make sense because they would have moved east, east to west. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, oh, yeah, it was, let's see... Um, in 1855 was when the principal meridian was put there. There's also another principal meridian that is in the Navajo Nation, actually. Um, where's the GPS coordinates? That's weird. So there's actually another meridian in New Mexico as well, and that is currently in the Navajo Nation. Uh, or what is now the Navajo Nation, it is an east-to-west meridian, whereas the meridian that was placed is north-to-south. Um, it goes across around the center of the state and doesn't continue on to Arizona. The Arizona one is actually 
uh, ways down from there. There's no legend to this map, so I have no idea how long things are. Um, yeah. Oh, there we go. About 100 miles or so. Yeah, the Arizona baseline is 100 miles below the New Mexico one, but the California one is lined up with ours. I think someone did a screw-up. Huh. I think I can share my screen because we're in a meet. Um... And it's not entirely in the center of New Mexico, I guess. Uh, where the hell is... Nope. Wrong one. There you go. Did you see that, Luke? Oh, uh, no. Uh, what? An error has occurred. Oh. Uh-oh. I've told you how much I hate Google sometimes. Uh, you see it now? Yeah, now I can see it. Okay. See, look there. All right. Huh, that's interesting. Well, the California one was first, I guess. It lines up here. You're looking at the one in Arizona, right? Yeah, the California-New Mexico ones line up, but the Arizona one is... Let's go to this legend. Oh, okay. About 100 miles down. That's interesting, because it seems to line up with the base of, of Arkansas. Oh, look at this Oklahoma one. Oh, I guess, I'm guessing those were human error, because, once again, they're surveying with pencil, paper, pen, map, and a telescope, maybe? Or a spyglass? Yeah, I mean, they're basically, like, surveying with sticks, uh, telescopes, uh, and maps. So, I mean, they, they basically had no equipment, and their job was to survey a country I'm that guessing... they didn't know anything about. Each one of these areas is a different, like, they'd survey this one, and this is a separate one. That's really weird how this is divided up, because you have Wyoming, Colorado, Kansas, and Nebraska, or all except, like, a fourth of Colorado. Wyoming, Nebraska, and Kansas are all clumped together. Then you have a little hole in Wyoming that's separate, and then it's New Mexico, that chunk of Colorado, then Arizona's by itself, Utah's by itself, Nevada's by itself, half of California's by itself. But then they group together North Dakota, half of South Dakota, half of Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, and Arkansas. Yeah, that's it's kind of weird, but... What are the pink spots in the middle? Are those... Those are reservations other... Reservations or... Other so every, kind? um... Every different, like every patch of like this big green area is all one area. Um, this blue, this yellow area was all surveyed as a chunk, except for that pink area. Is how I reading the map. Okay. So my guess was these areas are mountains, possibly, or something that was like very hard to get to because it was 20 years uh they surveyed most of wyoming 20 years before they finished that little chunk 
Or actually, it might be the year. Nope. The colors don't correspond to years. It's really interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. We're a very interesting country. We are. We have a lot of interesting history. So, what about the cross? I mean, I wasn't able to find anything about the cross on top of the hill. I really don't know. That's it's there. Um, there's something. It's it's a oh um. Let's describe it real quick. It's a metal. There's a metal cross that is sitting on the edge of Indian Hill, facing out into the valley. Uh, it ha it's yeah has a name inscripted on it i think uh it's just been there we really don't know too much about it yeah i mean if i had to guess i would say that it was put there um anywhere from the 1880s to the 1930s i'm probably gonna make myself look like a fool by saying that but that's just my guess based on the condition of the metal. Yeah, um, we didn't get it. Do you remember if it was welded or if that's bolted in? It's welded, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm totally wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I'm assuming it's a memorial of some kind. Maybe someone died there or near there. Um, could have been put there when the flood happened, which... We'll talk about in a bit but it's yeah um it was, it was definitely why. after at least the spaniards yeah for sure i mean it's it's made out of iron or steel so it wasn't put there that long ago um so i guess we can talk about the flood now so um for a really long time, um, up until 1929, Santa Casio was more or less just like a flourishing little railroad town in you know, almost the Wild West. They would, they had a lot of agriculture and they would sell their agricultural products to Albuquerque, which made them quite a bit of money. And then in 1929, there were, the Rio Grande flooded and basically filled all of Santa Casia up with 15 feet of water. And after that, it was never the same again. So, I mean, even my great-grandmother lived through that flood, and she had to get in a, ho a horse-drawn carriage and escape to Alamillo before the floodwaters hit her house. And after that, Santa Casia became little more than what it is today. It's basically abandoned. Uh, talking about the flood always reminds me of, you know the Johnny Cash song that's like, how high is the water, Obama? And it's like five feet high and rising. Um, yeah. That may have been influenced. I it's probably not, but I knew Johnny Cash did really like New Mexico. 
he performed at four or five state fairs when he was still alive, and he wrote a song about New Mexico as well. That's interesting. Yeah, that's actually quite interesting. Um, but I know in uh, in 1934, as a as a direct response to the flood, um, they built a dam in the Rio Grande, which oh, um which led to this area receiving its second name, uh, the Santa Casia Butte. Um, so it looks like I was wrong about the Cash, the Johnny Cash song. It was about a flood in Mississippi. Um, it's a first-person account of he was just under five years old, and he had to leave their home because water. Yeah. I knew that was probably a stretch. Wow, it seems but... like a pretty common theme. It, that seems like a pretty common theme of... A lot of flooding. people's childhoods at the time, flooding and running away. Because, I mean, my great-grandma was six when the flood happened. Wow. It's interesting, you know. It's very really interesting. Is. But, I mean, after, after that point in time, I mean, there wasn't much left, you know. And uh, to this day, I think only about 65 people live in Santa Casia. So as far as I know, you know, more people lived there than just 65 at the time of the flood because the economy was decent and everyone had a job to do. But now all that's left are some alfalfa fields and cattle. Um, oh, he, oh, you know those holes, those drill holes in the rocks. You remember those? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking on that Gentle Art of Wondering site, and on the bottom it says those drill holes are what the Puebloans. It says Puebloans. Yeah, Puebloans. The Puebloans. That's an interesting word. Used for crushing and making powder of food for cooking purposes. Small holes were made in rocks and used to crush food into powder or smaller cooking items. I guess they would put the food in there and get like a pestle kind of thing and just crush it. According yeah. to Stephen Lotkin. Well, that's what I was talking about at the beginning with the, uh, the pestles carved the rocks. That's why I think that the settlement is, you know, could be upwards of 2000 years old because those things take a long time to form. It yeah. takes like generations and generations of people grinding food in the same place for those to form in the way that they have. I wonder. Do you know? Does carbon dating work on clay? Is that a thing? I think so. Carbon dating is very iffy to begin with, but it gives a better idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess when the current landowner dies. Um, he has the land willed to some universities in New Mexico, right? Yeah, he has them willed to, I think, Tech and UNM. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. I know UNM has an archaeology department. Tech doesn't, but um, they do have a large geology department, which I'm sure would um, enjoy some of that stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that they're going to find way, way more than what we found. So, 
Yeah, I mean... Like, I'm sure that with that cemetery, I'm sure that it's way bigger than the confines of the fence around it. Like, I'm pretty sure that there are burials stretching all the way to, like, the western side of the hill. Probably. That is a... I guess it's a... It'd probably be larger than that. There's a lot of empty space, but there's also empty... There's headstones, or not exactly headstones. There's markers in places that are just there, I'm guessing, to mark a body. But there's a lot of historical significance in that cemetery. Yeah, I mean, the cemetery's been in use for a long, long, long time. I mean, like I said at the beginning, um, it's been in use for longer than the Spanish have been here, so that's about 500 years. And if the settlement is as old as I think it is, you know, it, that place could have been used for burying people for a thousand years at least, so. And it's still in use to this very day. So... You know, there's a lot... All I'm saying is that there's a lot of uh, empty, sandy, flat space that's very good for... that would be very good for burying your deceased. As grim as it sounds. Um, but it's it's just something that happens. So that about does it for this podcast. In the next episode, we're going to be covering um, the founder of the Hilton Hotel chain and the fact that he was actually born in San Antonio, New Mexico. I'm Lucas Ward. And I'm Cody Johnston, and this has been Free State of Socorro.